Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but the, to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit as Scripture is read and word is proclaimed. Help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. So if you haven't noticed this about me yet, I've always been a play-on-words kind of guy. You ever notice that? I tend, uh, I'm very analytical. And so when I'm having a, a conversation, I tend to pay attention more to the words people are saying and the sentences and the structures and such more so and, and rather than the tone or the perceived vibe that it's given off. I don't not notice the vibe or um, the tone, but I don't give it as much weight as the actual words. Are you with me? Anybody else like that as well? My wife used to always tell me that the tone by which I would say something is what she heard and affected her greatly. And when the tone wasn't right, well, you just don't hear the words that go with it. You know, I, at one point I didn't understand fully how that worked because I'm a words guy. I, I, I look at, at, at the words and break them down. What I say is more important to me than how I say it. But the words of one Ed Waltz ring loudly for us, particularly in today's society. Ed Waltz said, The tone of our truth-telling can build a wall or a bridge. The tone of our truth-telling can build a wall or a bridge. Ed Waltz and his wife Barb uh, know very well what this means. They witnessed two types of truth-telling by two different doctors. You see, Barb and Ed's daughter, Deb, has cerebral palsy. And Barb had hoped that Deb would one day walk again. So after performing a battery of tests, the first doctor that they saw led Barb and Ed into this conference room where he bluntly laid out for them what they could expect. In a tone that was cold and emotionally disconnected from his patient, the doctor said this, It is extremely unlikely that your daughter will ever walk again. 
Still in a shade of, state of shock from the devastating news, Barb asked, well, but what kind of shoes should I buy her? She was thinking, you know, maybe some sort of special uh, corrective shoes or perhaps shoes uh, connected to a brace or something medically related. And without softening the blow, the doctor looked at her and said, you buy her whatever kind of shoes you want. She's not going to use them to walk. I think that doctor needs a lesson in bedside manner, amen? It doesn't matter what shoes you buy, she's not going to use them to walk. With that, he just turned and left the room. And, of course, Barb busted into tears. Who wouldn't? Several months later, the family decided to get a second opinion. I think I'd have got a second opinion, too. And they met with a second doctor. And, without, and uh, so they went to the second doctor, and the entire scene felt different. The room that they were sitting in was different. The vibe, the atmosphere was very different. And this time, uh, Ed... Uh, and this is, what, this is Ed speaking about the atmosphere in the room. And he says, My wife asked the new doctor essentially the same question that she had asked the first one. She was still wondering if there was anything that we could do that might enable our daughter to take even a few steps. And when they asked, the doctor paused for a minute, thinking. Then he looked very compassionately and directly into Barb's eyes and said, You know what I would do if I were you, Mrs. Waltz? I would buy my daughter the prettiest little pink shoes I could find with bright purple shoelaces. Barb knew what he meant. Ed said, we talked about our experience on the way home. Both doctors had told us the exact same thing, that Deb would never walk again. And he says, I'm ashamed to say what we felt like doing to the first doctor, but we felt like hugging the second one. How we tell the truth makes a difference in how the truth is received. Did you notice the difference, the vast, the great difference? How we say things really does matter, y'all. Take that from someone who had to learn the hard way. Kate can say amen now. The approach we take when interacting with others matters greatly. Today we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit that is gentleness. We continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And today we talk about the fruit that is gentleness and we ask the question, does the gentle approach work? Does the gentle approach work? And today, with the word gentleness, we have another Greek word that yields very highly ambiguous definitions. So by this point, I know what, you, I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing and doing the research. Why can't they just come up with a straightforward definition for these words? Why can't they just say it like it is? Why not just, just give us something that doesn't require the scenic route to get there? Y'all can say amen. The reason that we don't have those and because, well, the reason they can't is because we don't have them. And the reason is because sometimes there just isn't the right one-size-fits-all word or understanding. 
from one language or culture that directly correlates to another. Are you with me? There's just no way to correlate the English and the Greek when it comes to these words. The meanings of words also evolve and expand through the years since the original usage of the words sometimes change as well. Let me give you an example. This is one we can all understand. The other day I was watching The Little Mermaid with my girls, and you know the scene where she finds a fork? Except she doesn't call it a fork. Ariel calls it a what? A dinglehopper. Okay, think back to your Disney days and The Little Mermaid. Ariel calls the fork a dinglehopper, and she uses it to do her hair. Well, we all know the side of it is this, that it's a fork. We all know what it's supposed to be used for. But it works, right? It works to do your hair. It may not be the best instrument, but it works. Here's another example. How do you think an Eskimo would translate the word pineapple? Pineapple. How many uh, trees of this nature do you believe are scattered throughout Alaska and the Arctic? None. I doubt that they have pineapples in the far north. So to them, they may not understand the word pineapple. They may say prickly, sweet, eatable blubber thing that's yellow in the middle and is difficult to get into. Sometimes there's just no way to translate a word except by using a description. Now are you with me? The word gentleness that we use is one of those kinds of words. What it actually means, what the Greek words that are used for gentleness in Scripture mean are two different things. It means to bend low, to bend low, and it also means to be tame or docile. To be tame or docile. So the same Greek word that is used throughout Scripture to refer to our English word gentleness has also been translated to mean words like meekness and humility. Meekness and humility. So if we're going to combine our definitions together, we can come up with a working definition for the context of our Scripture about what we think Paul meant when he used the word gentleness and what we are referring to when we call fruit of the Spirit of gentleness. A working definition we can use today is sensitivity of disposition and behavior founded on strength and prompted by love. A sensitivity of disposition and behavior that is founded on strength and prompted by love. Do you like that definition? Is that okay? Shake your head yes, if you're with me. It is strength or power that is under control. Gentleness is a strength or a power that is under control. The Greeks almost always illustrated a word when defining it. Any visual learners here? My wife's a primary example. Sometimes you just just need to see it to understand it. And so the Greeks often used animal illustrations with words that they were trying to explain. And so uh, the the visual illustration for this word, imagine an animal being tamed by its owner. Okay, imagine a, a tame horse, for example. A tamed horse has yielded or has submitted its strength to its master. 
okay? The strength of the, of the animal is no longer being wildly wasted, but has been harnessed and is now focused in order to fulfill a purpose. By itself, a horse that is out of control is dangerous, but a horse that is tame and has power under control is effective. Are you with me? Here's another example to try to help you. Think about water, for example. Water. Water that's under control could be water rushing through a, a dam that's turning turbines, generating electricity uh, through hydropower. Water out of control would be a flood destroying everything in its path. Same substance, same power, different use, different perspective. A disease out of control. We witnessed that all last year, did we not? A disease out of control can devastate the body and kill its victim. But a disease under control can produce vaccines and save thousands upon thousands of lives. Gentleness is power and strength that is under control. It's the submission of our strength and our will to God's control and to God's purpose. Gentleness or, or meekness is not to be confused with weakness, okay? It is not weakness, but it is strength that is under control. It is power under God's authority. Do you know the difference between power and authority? I got a great example that... that I found a long time ago, and I love this example. I may need some football player help with this, Connor. Think of a linebacker or a lineman when they're running at you with full force and all the pads. That's power. Now, think of the guy like me standing on the sideline with the black and white striped shirt holding the yellow handkerchief. What happens when he runs towards me? That power is immediately tamed and controlled, is it not? That referee is authority. The linebacker is power. The referee is authority. Here is our issue. Our issue arises when we use what God gave us to gain even more for me. Whether it be power, whether it be trying to take our own authority, we get in trouble when we try to use what God gave us to gain even more selfishly for me our society does not help with this either does it our society does not help society says you worked hard for what you got you should live it up you can have it your way once you reach a certain status you are above everybody else because you got there you are a very important person and you should be treated like it the world says you should strive to be on top. And some instances the world says you should look to those below as inferior. You are above the system and the rules because you have, quote, made it. Well, I got some news for you folks. And I'm in this boat too because I've been there because sometimes some people think whenever you don the robe and the stole, you all of a sudden have authority beyond the power God has given you. Let me tell you, we don't. God is still the one in control. Someone say amen. 
Our issue comes when we try to take it for ourselves. Our issue comes whenever we get to the point where we think we've made it and others are below me. In the eyes of God, we are all sinners who fall short and we are all people who come seeking forgiveness before the same cross. The same cross. No one gets exceptions. No one gets comp points. No one gets special treatment here because in the eyes of God, we are all very important people because we are all God's children. So the question for us to be asking ourselves today, the question to be asking those out there who we know perhaps treat people like this or perhaps those who have been treated like this is this. If we are all that important to God, that God would even die on the cross, the same cross for all people, when, then why in the world do we think it's okay to treat one another like dirt just because they may be a little different from us? What gives us the right to think we can treat people like dirt when God looks at us all the same? There's a story about a former governor of Massachusetts who had arrived late for a barbecue. Uh, he had no breakfast this day, and, and uh, he was famished. And so as he went down the serving line, he held out his plate and received only one piece of chicken. Now, this particular governor liked to eat. And so he said to the lady in the serving line, he said, excuse me, do you mind if I get another piece of chicken? I'm very hungry today. And the lady in the serving line said, sorry, I'm only supposed to give one piece of chicken to every person. But I'm starved, he repeated. Sorry, one piece per customer, she said. Please move along. The governor decided that it was time to play his gubernatorial card. And he looked at the lady and said, ma'am, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. I want another piece of chicken. And the lady looked at him and said, Do you know who I am? I'm the lady who says everybody only gets one piece of chicken in this line. Move along. <laughs> Do we sometimes think of ourselves more highly than we ought to? Yeah. Nobody is below anybody in status in the eyes of God. Therefore, just as Jesus Christ was humbled and put others before him by dying on the cross, we are called to treat each other in the same way. We are called to act in a way that betters one another and isn't just selfish. Wouldn't this solve a ton of the issues in our world today? If every single person would regard others with an attitude that puts them above each uh, above us wouldn't that wouldn't that just solve a lot of our problems and our issues it certainly would let a lot of hot air out of a lot of inflated ego would it not <laughs> if we would just treat each other the way we want to be treated it goes back to the golden rule we talked about last week if we really expect respected each other more than we respect ourselves then we would listen carefully to what other people had to say. We would encourage the other person to participate, and we would carefully digest all the other had to offer, whether we agree or disagree. But for some people, this is very difficult. It would mean, then, that the more highly educated would have to often listen to the less educated and hear what they have to say. 
It would mean that the wealthy would have to hear what the less affluent were saying. It would mean that women would have to listen to men. And men would have to listen to children, uh, to, to women. And both, both would stop and listen to what the youth are trying to say. Hello? But then it also would mean that youth would respect their elders, their parents, and what those people are saying as well. It would mean that we would have to put privilege aside and invite the marginalized in to be a part of the same table. Because if the same cross was good enough for all people, why isn't the same table also good enough for all people? A man asked a rabbi one day, he said, how come in the olden days God would show himself to people? But today, nobody ever sees God. The rabbi says, because now, nowadays, people aren't willing to bow low enough to see God. Because nowadays, nobody can bow low enough to see God. Folks, the gentle approach, it does work. It works when we are willing to bow low enough. Taylor University is a, is a Christian college in Indiana. Years ago, they were pleased to learn that an African student whose name was Sam was going to be enrolled in their school. And this was years before uh, the days of uh, just regular international students coming to be enrolled in our, in our institutions of higher learning. So this is years ago. And uh, uh, he was a bright young man with a great promise, and, and the school felt honored to have him present there. And so the president, the school president himself, was given Sam a tour of the school. And when they got to the dorms, uh, the pre they ended the tour at the dorms and, and the president asked Sam where he would like to live. He was going to give Sam the pick of the dorms for him. And Sam said, if there's a room that nobody else wants, that's the one I want. If there's a dorm that nobody else wants, that's the one I want. The president immediately busted into tears at this student's humility. That's the kind of meekness that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. If there is one job that nobody else wants, then I'll do that job. If there's a kid that no one else wants to eat lunch with, then I'll eat with that kid. If there's a piece of toast that's burnt, then I'll take that piece of toast. If there's a parking spot further away from the church that nobody else wants, then I'll take that parking spot. If there's a hardship someone has to endure, I'll take that hardship on for them. If there's a sacrifice that someone needs to make, then I will take that sacrifice. This is the mentality that we are called to live into, sisters and brothers. 
when we are willing to bow low enough to make the sacrifice that no one else in this world is willing to make, then we are using the power that God has given us to give back to God. We are putting it to the best use. We are using power that is under God's control and is not under the control of the hogwash of this world. Our power under the control of God would be actively looking to answer this question every single morning, every single day. Here's the question. How can I improve someone else's life today? How can I improve someone else's life today? How can I put the interest of others ahead of mine today? What would happen if we all take the me, the selfish part of me, out of the equation and replaced it with us. This is what the gentle approach is all about. Don't mistake it for weakness, but be willing to bow low enough to see the eyes of God. Be willing to bow low enough right beside the others in this world whom that cross was also good enough for. Folks, this is the gospel message today. We are all beautiful children of God. That's the way God looks at us. What will it take for us to look at each other in the same way? Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.